0: Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging technologies, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, Jay Arnold & Associates.
1: And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is integrative technologies. Hi, John. Another month, right? Good to good to hear your voice. Hello, everybody. Welcome back.
0: Yeah, same here. Welcome back. And we have the August edition of Watch This Space uh, teed up now, and we're happy to have you all here. I, I've been getting, by the way, Chris, some commentary off and on from people recently who are regular listeners. And it's, it's good to hear, you know, we, we talk into the ether and do our thing remotely. We never see each other, but we have enough, you know, history to talk about just about anything. And uh, it's just good to know that the people out there are listening and uh, they enjoy what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we will hold up our end of the bargain and keep, uh, keep things going here.
1: That's great. And, of course, we're very grateful to anybody who does listen. And are the comments okay? Did they have any critiques? Uh,
0: Just, you know, look forward to the next one. That's what I like to hear. So, you know, continuity is is a big part of this podcast thing. And, uh, you know, you take it for granted when you are at your desk. At least that's how I work most of the time. But I know a lot of people have, you know, probably more mobile lifestyles than me, and they're out walking their dog, on a commuter train, in the car, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, they pick up their podcasts, and it's a good time to, uh, to get into that. And I also wanted to say, I mentioned this last time, too, I think, Chris, that the um, podcast platforms, uh, we are getting picked up on all, all of the major ones. You know, Amazon, Google, and, uh, oh, gosh. Not Stitcher. Well that's that's one too. Apple? Amazon, Google, and Apple. Thank you. <laughs> you can tell I'm not an Apple user, right? Uh yeah. But anyways, yeah, so it's it's nice to know that eventually, you know, these things filter out uh into those universes. And uh, you know, it goes from there.
1: Well, I, I think we try to keep a balance. Right. So we're not really coming into this with an agenda much. Um kind of sharing thoughts. You know, as two analog guys, we're not anti-technology, but I think we're also not really drinking too much Kool-Aid, if you know what I mean. So, hopefully, the perspective is good.
0: Yes, useful. That's that's the way I like to look at it, right? So uh, that tees up nicely with uh, what I where I want to take things for us today, Chris, and that is to dive a little bit more into a recent study. Uh, published by Ernst and Young, who now go by EY in the accounting world, but you know they're one of the big players, uh, especially for large global enterprise. Um, uh, well, obviously financial issues, but also they work. They cover all these other things about workplace, all the different services that they they provide. But they do this study called Work Reimagined, and the current edition was probably just released a couple of you know maybe a month or two ago uh it's a global study uh something like seventeen thousand employees 22 countries i mean i'm just kind of going through the the highlight backgrounder of this but you know it's it's a substantive piece of research that really covers the big picture really well and for those of you who who caught our last episode, I talked about highlights from the Future of Work Expo that I that I've been running for a few years now in Fort Lauderdale, and one of our uh, keynoters was Barbara Steele from the local EY um, office, and she came in to talk about this study. So I made a couple of references to it, Chris, in the last podcast, but since then I'm I'm looking at it a little bit more closely. I'm I'm writing an article that's going to run. Uh, very soon, and no jitter uh, about it. And I just realized, you know, this is something we probably could add a little bit more of our own take to as well. So I thought we could we could uh, touch on some of the highlights here today.
1: Great, John. And this is um, the, this it, the study itself, at least, is available online. I take it if anybody wants to yes. follow up. Okay. Yeah. And we probably should. I, I would say a couple of quick notes here. One is remember that this is our usual disclaimer, that this is office workers, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but my take on it was they were focusing on sort of uh, knowledge worker office jobs and the, the second thing is that there are a bunch of other studies and more coming out all the time, but we wanted to focus on this one a little bit because as you say it was part of your Future of Work conference and it is an interesting study.
0: That's right. That's right. So certainly a lot of the, the core, you know, verticals that you would expect in a large study, you know, uh, you know, finance, manufacturing, IT, retail, you know, healthcare. you know, public sector. So they cover the gamut. And yes, it would this would be. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, there is a little retail in there, but, it, in, you know, and in, in, in frontline stuff. But it's mostly I think this reflects mostly the office as you say, knowledge worker type of environment. But I, I, I wanted to kind of start with this idea that, uh, and we've touched on this a few times before, Chris, but, you know, this hybrid work concept, you know, we've certainly talked about it being harder to do than it looks. And what I'm finding really interesting with the timing of this research, certainly in the U.S., you know, there's all these concerns right now about, you know, rising interest rates, or, you know, Runaway inflation, high gas prices, and concerns about are we heading into a recession? Is the economy contracting? All those kind of death knells that we all get worried about and politicians lose a lot of sleep over. But at the same time, right, the economy seems to be at almost full employment, right? I mean, it's I, I, I
1: don't know what side really carries the ball here. No, it's true. It's I, I think it's a combination of several things at once and because they're happening at the same time they're kind of they're kind of contradictory trends right it's like a lot of changes in a lot of areas at the same time right
0: yeah so when i mentioned we talked earlier about you know the world of technology and all the things that we spend our time thinking about with you know unified communications and remote meetings and video and you know all the collaborative tools that workplaces rely on to bridge the office and the home-based environments, right? Yes, technology plays an important role, but I think these kind of more macro forces, um, I think they just carry more weight when you talk about the state of the economy. So what, what I'm getting at here, Chris, is, you know, when we, different points of an economic cycle, I think people will respond to this hybrid work concept differently so we've touched on for example you know this great resignation idea and of course it's more nuanced than just a lot of people are fed up and taking better jobs but you know there's a lot of factors at play that make it a little more complex than that and we hear this talk about how all the balance of power is shifting in the employee's favor right if we're at a full employment economy you know they kind of hold some of the cards so they can make more demands on what a workplace that's going to make them happy has got to look like, right? I mean, that—that's the sense that I'm getting from the, what's going on right now, but also what some of this data is showing.
1: Well, can you be a little more specific about questions E and Y asked? To because uh, I know they had a slide in in the in the summary that captured it perfectly, right? Because it was the scales with employer yeah. and employee on the scales. But you know, did did you take away from this that? they felt that employees actually had gained more power
0: well yeah so first is this idea about where people want to work and the survey data is you know is not surprising you've seen similar stuff elsewhere showing they say that you know what was it eighty percent of employees want to work remotely at least two days a week and and the average desired number of days is closer to three it's like 2.9 so there is definitely a a, if that's like the table stakes that they want to be able to have that kind of control that's coming from the employees the um there was an interesting stat change here from just a year's time showing that the percentage of uh, of those who are reluctant who who don't want to work remotely went from 34 percent down to 20% in one year's time, so that, that that's a big shift in this, you know, this idea about you know where people want to work. So it, it's getting difficult for companies. You know, we mentioned this, I think, last time, like the you know Elon Musk's of the world saying you must return to work. Well, it's hard for employers to kind of have that absolute power to do that, right? So it's, it's, um, it's challenging for like this, the established way of doing things.
1: It is, it is. I, I also think that it's, uh, it's challenging to employers right now to try to figure out how to achieve anything they want to achieve with that. I, in other words, the Elon method of being somewhat dictatorial and saying you're gonna come back, there's doubts about whether that's actually gonna work for a lot of people. And, but then on the other hand, you know, how do you entice people back, you know, even to three days a week? Because a lot of places are even having difficulty with that, right? I mean, there's probably some happy medium where employers would say, yeah, they're back in the office enough to capture the culture, you know, and that's probably the two, three days a week. And, you know, if you look at the employer data and employee data that you just cited, then um, the employees you know, they're basically not saying they don't want to come back in. They're just saying they want two to three days, not in the office. So how do you reach that agreement in a way, right? How do you reach that new arrangement? Because, you know, for example, there's a big difference between two days a week and three days a week in the office. It's, you know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right. It's, it's a, it's a decently different fraction. And so how do you kind of compromise on that when the employees think they want three days out and the, um, employers think they want two days out, right? They want three days in the office, the employers want two days in the office, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, so there are some fundamental points of of disagreement or just having a different perspective on the same topic. But looking at this data, I I see if there's one thing that both sides, I hate to bring it down to like employees versus employers, but that's what a lot of this research seems to be about. But if there's one thing that they both seem to agree on, is that they have this they ask this question about do you believe changes should be made to total rewards given the impact of the uh, pandemic? So, in other words, you know, is the model still working or the fundamental changes need to be made? And both sides have pretty similar levels of agreement on that. So, the starting point is yes, it's it's 79% of employees feel this way, 83% of employers feel this way. So I think they both agree that the fundamental model is not right for the times. So that's, that's a good way to start, you know, positive, you know, agreement and all that stuff. But the difference seems to come down more to money than anything else. And this is where I'm finding some disconnect here in this kind of you know, making hybrid work work idea. So there's a real gap between what the issues really are. So in other words, when they're asked about the the ones who feel that pay increases are what's needed to address this great resignation, all this high-level turnover, 42% of employees say, yeah, it's pay increases that are the issue. Employers, only 18% say it's a money thing. So I think there's a real fundamental gap and this is the classic right worker versus manager kind of model here. But I think the, the data shows fairly clearly how important the financial piece is to workplace satisfaction. And I think that's kind of fundamentally true for almost everything. But given how we have so much attention placed on all the soft stuff, the DEI, right, workplace culture, all of these things that we seem to think that that's what workers really want. It seems to be pointing this data that it's, it really is more about a money thing. And how do you reconcile that if you have people working from home two or three days a week, right? I mean, that really undermines the whole model of how we, we, they structure these relationships.
1: You think so? I mean, I'm not sure. So I have what's perhaps a very simplistic view of this. You know, I think in many places, what's kind of languished over the last few years as the nature of work has evolved is the idea of a trajectory. And I, I see this a lot when I do mentoring, because I always ask my mentees, you know, what do you think your trajectory is? Has your has your manager communicated? You know, what might you get paid? Um, do you know what you need to do to get to get up to the next level and kind of what is that next level. And in the midst of all the soft culture explosion, I feel like many times there's not a good answer to that from the employer, right? So if that's the case, what am I as the employee supposed to do? Even if I like my job and I like my, the people and I like the firm, I've got to go if I want to get paid. Right, I, I've got to go do the shuffle in order to get paid, and that seems like something that um, ought to be addressable, right? A- at least it, it ought to be more clear what the trajectory is and what you need to do to achieve that trajectory for a person. You know, to ask a manager, what where will I if I'm really good, where will I be in five years? And what do i what's the definition of being good at my job and am i doing that you know to get the right feedback and coaching and mentoring and maybe that's something that needs a little more focus you know
0: yeah yeah i, I agree with that and certainly when you you know think about sectors like healthcare where the burnout rate is so high and people are leaving you know those frontline jobs because they just can't take it anymore and they're not getting appreciation and valued and they're not getting paid that's a big problem and and I I I just look at this and I say okay well clearly you know money is an issue a big issue for the for this kind of state of the workplace Um, they have a another one of the slides shows this kind of breakout of factors excuse me that if you were going to consider an offer from another employer what would be the primary reason to go and Far and away, it was money was the top factor here, opportunity for increased total pay. And all the other stuff, as I mentioned, the soft skills, the culture, uh, all that stuff, which we seem to talk about endlessly, and corporations seem to focus inordinate amounts of attention to, and for good reasons. Yet, when you ask the employer, nah, that stuff's okay, but it's the money. And so, okay, hmm, so if this is really just coming down to money, what or not really just money, but, you know, if it's so dominant, I, I, just question, I just wonder, what does that really mean? And the idea I was mentioning earlier about, well, different times in economic cycles, people might answer these questions differently. And I just wonder if people are getting apprehensive right now about we're going into an economy that might be on the downwind, costs are going up and everything and they're just worried about their everyday financial, you know, stability, I think that's a very that's a valid concern. But is it a realist is it realistic to expect employers to pay more if you're getting kind of less commitment out of your employees, you know, to, to be in an office and to be, you know, present where you want them to be. I, I just think it raises some really difficult issues.
1: It does, and it's not clear how they're going to be resolved, particularly in the downturn when employers tend to get a little more hard of hearing, if you want to call it that. Yeah, right. And employees <clears throat> perceive greater risk in switching. So, because part of the great resignation, I think, is a set of circumstances that occur periodically, um, for example, in the late 90s very similar, where you have very little to lose and a lot to gain by switching. So even if you're relatively risk averse, which a lot of people are, you don't perceive the exit risk as being that high. And that can, that can change very suddenly, but I don't think any of this, even if the employers temporarily get more control, if you want to call it that, I'm not sure what the right word is, or, or relative power on balance on those scales, I don't think that takes away from the fact that a lot of these work hybrid work style work culture work content trends are going to change right it, mm-hmm. it you know the and and as far as the compensation goes you know arguably it's at least this has always been my thought it's it's pretty expensive to replace an employee you know if it's just a matter of making the future a little more clear to them you know not paying them an exorbitant amount, but perhaps just looking at the leveling in the industry and at least make sure they're at par, right? Because it's expensive to replace them.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe this is just, I don't know, maybe it's just the knowledge worker labor force is, is just maybe in a very different place than a lot of other lines of work. You know, I just, I'm sure this does come down to, you know, you know, the digital divide kind of thing because as long as you believe that the economy is healthy enough that you have choice out there as i say we're at almost full employment so the worker is in the driver's seat as long as you say like the perceived risk if they feel that they have options out there to go of course they're going to want to demand more and put less value on these other things even things like health care benefits which for a lot of people are the prime reason to go to a job But clearly, in this model, healthcare is way down the list. So, you know, I, I just really wonder, as I said about the pendulum swinging, in this particular economy, I can see why employees would have this kind of mix of priorities. But I really wonder if we were in a different kind of economy, would it be shifting? Would it be different? Would they be less concerned about, you know, getting paid? as opposed to job security, right, you know, feeling they're in an environment that they're appreciated. I don't know. I, I just really wonder if this behavior, this grass is always greener thing, is maybe a little unrealistic. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I just there seem to be some disconnects here that, are, that I, I can't quite explain.
1: Well, it certainly doesn't seem like everybody's on the same page, except perhaps the fact that they know change is happening. They know that it's hard to hire and retain people so you know it remains somewhat tbd but i think that savvy employers are going to re-examine this and like what is the and, and understand like what the new balance is i mean when it comes to things like compensation you know total comp has many components as you say health care you know the bonus structure such as it may be also certain benefits like child care you know which is a big big factor at least in the US um super expensive and all of these other things that have gotten super expensive that people need to cover um and but one thought i had while you were talking is you know it's not usually our sweet spot of coverage but i was reading an article this morning in the wall street journal about the great shortage of workers for hotels you know these are service workers and um you know, they mentioned in the article, some of the same issues, you know, it's um, that they just a lot of the workers feel that they ought to try to credentialize themselves or move to an industry where they could just get paid more and have more of a future, right? Because maybe they could get into an industry where you can see what your future might be. I mean, and, and that kind of says to me that maybe in a lot of Uh, knowledge and non knowledge worker and service industries they just don't have that clear view that is presented to the employee or that clear um, a structure that shows you a little bit that there's hope in the future and what your future path might be and what the rewards are for doing work you know
0: yeah yeah well sometimes I, I I think I wonder like are they trying to have it all in other words do employees you know have you know if they want to get paid more yet they don't seem to value the other things as much but they want all that flexibility that kind of goes to their preferences not the employers i i just i just wonder you know if this is just a symptom of, of the younger generation not really having a lot of history in the workforce uh, to know what it really takes to have a long-term run I, i i have a i'm struggling with this a little bit um you know the importance of culture for example you know we hear so much about that and there's an interesting split here in this research as well that they ask this question you know has company culture gotten better since the beginning of the pandemic and it's kind of trending in different directions for employers and employees so employees from last year to this year they think that culture has gotten better whereas the employers think culture has gotten worse since the or not worse but it hasn't improved the way employees think it has improved and is that because employees aren't in the office and maybe you know their 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 idea of culture is having this remote model of working where they don't have to Be that involved with the culture whereas the employers seem to think that culture maybe is overrated maybe that it's 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 more important than they think it is because they don't think it's gotten as good but yet here they are offering flexibility that they would think would be a positive but it's it doesn't it's not it, it just seems like a disconnect there again in expectations
1: I mean, there's a lot of elements to that, John. You know, so I'll throw out a I'll throw out a hack theory here. I I think that the employee's definition of culture is around a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Along, you know, that that the that the employer is supportive of more work-life balance, and that there's a little bit of trust to get for the for the employee to get the work done, irrespective of where he or she is or what hours she works or whatever, right? And that is considered good from the employee's side, but management culture is more about metrics and measurement and, you know, managing in the traditional sense. And so for them, this loosening of the strings and more kind of fuzzy metrics, if you wanna call it that, and the balance of work life and all of that is a little bit harder to reconcile with the metrics they're held accountable for because measuring these things is a relatively new art you know when mm-hmm. you don't have people around you all the time so i think that may be part of the disconnect but if i were an employer looking for some light here i would i would say that the fact that the employees think that the the, the culture is better i ought to seize on that and say well why do they think it's better <clears throat> And how do we take advantage of that to the good of both sides, right? How do we just fit that into a management construct so that we can we can make sure it's aligned with corporate goals and strategies and tactics and innovation and all the other things that you want to achieve as a business? You know, how can we tie those two things together, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think there has to be probably more... Transparency or just integration for the both sides to talk about well what what is culture? Like what how do we define it? Because as you say, management's idea of what culture is is seems to me that it's gonna be different than what employees think makes for good culture. But there's gotta yeah, be a happy medium.
1: If I were reading this, <clears throat> if I were going off this data, I'd be thinking as management, I'd want my HR folks and potentially some outside experts to come and really dig into why the employees think the culture is better, right? Because we're in a pandemic, for goodness sake, and they think the culture is better.
0: Right. Right. Is that because it's better when I'm away from you?
1: (laughs) It's better when I'm away from you, right? So
0: wait a minute. Hmm.
1: So, you know, that would seem like something worth studying, right?
0: Well, yeah. And if you tie that into the importance of getting paid more, it just makes you wonder well what is the what what is the value of culture then if money is what's going to make people happiest uh and they'll do that maybe at the expense of some culture does not matter if the culture is getting better or worse it just gets very messy and convoluted um so you know we're probably raising more questions than answers here chris but um to what you were just saying yeah what do we take away out of this as a conclusion and the report does have uh kind of five and our takeaways and what i find interesting about all of this is how little technology has to do with any of this stuff right just to how yeah, we started true. this right and so one of their takeaways was yes cre- they call it you know create the work technology experience and that is clearly that's what the ucas offerings we talked earlier before we recorded about zoom and cisco and microsoft yes those players have a role to play and I don't want to put myself out of work, but I, I don't want to, my takeaway from this is let's not overstate the importance of these things, because if you, if you drink the Kool-Aid and listen to the Ciscos and the Rings and the Mitels and everyone telling these stories, you'd think that the answer was, oh, just get better collaboration tools. And obviously, no, no, I don't think so at all. I, I think it's, it's just a tool but it doesn't solve a lot of these problems. I, I don't think it, it, it enables people to work better, yeah. But um, it's not like, oh, IT, they'll take care of it and they'll fix all of these problems. Like you say, HR is just as much a part of this as anyone else.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, I think they had some decent takeaways. I think, it, it, you know, despite all the discrepancies in thinking, both sides seem to feel and they seem to recommend in the study to understand that the hybrid really is here to stay, that it's not going to just revert back. Um, You and I have talked about this. My view is I don't think much of anything is going to revert back to what it was either for a very long time or ever. I think, I think the last few years have been a, you know, both positively and negatively earthquake transformative type of experience in the world. And it isn't over yet, and um, it's a time of great change and of uh, generational transition and many other things. And so, point is, you have to look to the future, I guess, no matter who you are, and think about how you how you work with that. And that was one of the things, at least, that came out to me in the study.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, hybrid is just—it's not going to fit into a box. It's just going to be a fluid concept that is going to require, I think, a lot of give and take on both sides. And I do think that some of the mix of what we talked about today, I think it could look very different a year from now if the economy changes in a big way and and the way it just creates these new priorities for people, businesses to survive, workers to have stable jobs, right? And so if the economy goes off a cliff, I think a lot of this stuff goes out the window. So I, I, you know, I just—it's just, it's just a, a, another good example of you know how difficult this hybrid work model is to pin down
1: right now. I agree, and we'll we'll just watch the space, right, John? We'll just keep stay tuned and see what happens. But we'll look forward to your you no know, jitter article, and uh, we'll continue to occasionally talk about you know some data we see out there that uh, may be of interest to our listeners and comments, always welcome.
0: Ditto. And if you are interested out there in getting a copy of the uh, highlights, please, uh, we'll look. you can look for my No jitter article, yes, but also uh, we'd be happy to pass that link along. So, uh, And I'll probably cite it in the newsletter as well, so you can watch that too watch this space, watch the newsletter. Okay, so that takes us to time, Chris. So here we are, and we want to thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech, or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like it, great. We would love to hear from you. Leave us a review, a rating, suggestions for future topics that we could uh, uh,
1: dive into, and uh, we are here for you. So with that, I am John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us for another month. Uh, We we value your listenership and always uh, like to hear from you, and we'll be back again next month with Watch This Space.